Amen. Please be seated. I do invite you to take your hymn, or your, not your hymnals, your Bibles, and turn with me to the book of Genesis. This morning, Genesis chapter 25 for our passage this morning. Um, you can also find this on the insert inside of your bulletin along with a brief outline of today's message. I know I love that offertory hymn Sarah just played for us. May we be thinking of that this day, that Lord is the fount of every blessing. In Him we have our life, our forgiveness, and our righteousness. Not because of us, but because of Him. And what an important and, and um, appropriate hymn as we think about the passage that is before us. We're coming to the end of one section or one season in our study of this middle section of the book of Genesis. Um, we are approaching the death of Abraham. And as I mentioned when we were in Genesis 23, that really at the death of his wife um, shows that the time is coming quickly that he would finish his task upon this earth. And then chapter 24, uh, which we took in, in two Sundays, uh, we covered that transitionary period where, um, by God's blessing, uh, the servant was to get a wife, um, Rebecca, for Isaac. And at the end, they are wed. And then now we're going to see the conclusion, those final years, those final moments for Abraham. And as we see this, what we're going to see is that the Lord blesses His people. The Lord blesses His people, particularly in seasons of transition. From here, it's from one patriarch to another. And what a blessing, isn't it? What a blessing for Abraham to be able to say, my children walked in the ways of the Lord as I did. What a blessing for him to be able to see his descendants and see them follow him and him being God. Isn't that the prayer we pray as parents, that, oh, our children would follow us, would walk in the ways of the Lord as we walk in the ways of the Lord. And so this is a beautiful passage. I hope you see it as such. I do invite you to look with me as I read for us the Word of God this day. I'll begin in uh, chapter 25, verse 1, and I will read through the 11th verse. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Lemumim. The sons of Midian were Ephur, Ephur, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. These were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of the Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me as we ask him to bless us and bless this time. Let us pray. Almighty God, this is your word and we are your people. 
And you have promised us by the power of the Holy Spirit you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear and soft hearts that this may be planted, firmly rooted in our lives. I pray that for your people this day. For there be anyone here that does not trust in you and does not rest in your word. May this passage cast a heavy burden upon their life. May they examine their life and contemplate death and realize that their only hope for comfort and for peace is to find it in and through the forgiveness that you provide. Lord, we thank you for this time you've given us. We dedicate it to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I was talking uh, with a lady recently who uh, was the owner of her father's business. And with pride, she told me that she belonged to the fifth generation who ran this family company. Their business was well-trusted in the community, for they've run it well and treated the people well. So much so, and it was a, a construction company, that most companies, when they sought to do business in town, went to them first. They didn't necessarily have the best prices. They didn't always have the biggest selection. But they were well thought of and treated their people well and had such a good reputation that they often found more business than they could do. I thought about that this week as we're thinking about Abraham and, and legacy and impact and, and lasting impressions. For Abraham, God promised, I will give you a son. I will give you a people. A, a people who will listen to me and trust in me and hope in me and long for me. What an answer to prayer and what a blessing for Abraham that in his lifetime he saw that son grow. He saw that son raise up. He saw that son marry. And now he gets ready to leave and he gives to that son all that he has. This is far better than taking over the family business, isn't it? We look with pride at our, our children when they follow in our footsteps in that way. But how much more do we take joy in the fact that they know the Lord and our God? Ultimately, what this passage reminds us of is that God honored His promises to Abraham unto the very end. He did not forget him. He did not forget His promises. And so this morning, I want us to see that from our text. I, I want us to find hope and encouragement in that very point. I want us to see three actions that the Lord takes here at the tail end of Abraham's life. And I want us to relate them to our own lives today. First, I want us to see God fulfills His promises. We find this in the first four verses, and we'll be reminded of it throughout the whole passage. Secondly, I want us to see that God preserves His people, a particular people, for a particular God. We find that in verses 5 and 6. And then lastly, I want us to see how God provides contentment in life and in death for His people. For the people of God, there will be contentment both in life and in death. We see that in the final verses. And so let us unpack the passage um, with the outline that I've laid before us. Our passage does begin with news that Abraham has taken a new wife, Keturah. Only place in Scripture she's really mentioned um, here and in the Chronicles. But through her, he has produced more children, six sons to be exact. Now I have to confess to you, scholars disagree on when this took place. And if you were with me last week, you know I'm in dangerous water telling you some specifics like this, but bear with me. If I need to correct it this week, I will. Many scholars are convinced, because here, here's where we are. Abraham, at the death of Sarah, is 138. 
he dies at 175. Many scholars do the math there and say there is no way a man of that age took a wife and then bore children. And so the only answer is that this is not chronological in order, but more um, telling it in events of importance. So it was more important to chronicle the life and death of Sarah and then mention, oh yeah, he had another wife. Um, We'll call her a concubine, as the text does in a moment. And then they had kids. But that's not really that important as is Sarah. That is one interpretation. And I'll admit that's the majority interpretation of the scholars. I will confess to you I disagree. Um, I I disagree, and I disagree uh, for this point. Now, to be fair, ultimately we don't know because the text doesn't tell us. So let me state that to cover myself. But I'm convinced that Abraham does take Keturah after the death of Sarah for this reason. How have we described Abraham for the last several chapters? We've gotten through his trials, we've gotten through his temptations, we've gotten through his faults, his failures, and his struggles. He has been upheld as the man of faith and as the man of righteousness. Again and again, we've looked to him as one who trusts in his God and follows in his ways. Plus, he's already made this mistake before um, with Hagar. And so you would think that a man who has fallen into that trap before and a man who is trusting in God would wait to marry again until after his wife has died. Now, as to the um, physical ability for him to produce children at this age, uh, God can do what God wants. And if you've heard anything over this story, hasn't it been just that? God can open barren wombs. God can provide vitality where there has been none. God can produce life where it should not be produced naturally. And so I'm inclined to think that Abraham did take this wife later, that at the end of his life she bore him six children, and that this is a continuation of his story following the death of Sarah unto his final days. And it is a blessing, isn't it? What a blessing for Abraham. He's had two children at this point, one through his servant Hagar, and then he and his wife have struggled and prayed and, and, and worshipped God and worried and stressed for years and years and years and years, for 25 years to produce a child, and they get one child, and then she dies, and then Sarah dies. And so for a man who has struggled to have a legacy in the terms of children here at the end, the Lord really blesses him, doesn't he? They get six more sons, and these sons become the fathers of many nations. And some of these we can trace to particular nations and particular people. Um, And we don't have time to to chase each one, but I'll I'll point you to one, probably the most recognizable. Um, Not Medan, but Midian. Midian is probably the most famous son of Keturah because he will be the father of the Midianites. And if you continue on in the book of Genesis, once we get to chapters 36 and 4 with the life of Joseph... He's gonna, they're going to show up again because it is the Midianites who are widely known as traders. And while they probably trade in a great deal of things, they also trade in people. And so it is the Midianites who pick up Joseph out of the pit at the cell of his brothers. Later on in the Pentateuch, we will read of Moses. Moses would marry a Midianite woman. And then even later than that, as he's leading and seeking to lead people well, 
um, in accord with God's word, his father-in-law, Jethro, is the one that tells him. He praises God and says, you've got some problems here in your government. We've got to lay this out better. And so the, the, the Midianites will continue to show up um, in, in the Pentateuch, and their names will, will come up again and again. But let's think about this. Let, let's think about this, this legacy and, and this abundance of children at the end. And let's say this. God works on his timing, not ours. God's promise to Abraham all the way back in, in uh, earlier chapters was to be his God, to give him a people that he would father nations. God is sovereign. And the fact that he fulfills this promise at the end of Abraham's life and not at the beginning does not make him less so. Let us use this as a reminder in our own lives to be patient. To be patient when it comes to the Lord's will and the Lord's timing. I know for me personally, I can get very anxious when I think something's not going the way I think it should. Or when if it's not happening fast enough. But God's will was to wait until at the end of Abraham's life to make Abraham the father of many nations. And whether God answers our prayers now or He answers our prayers in 50 years, is He less God because of it? Is He less sovereign? What is time to our God? And so I think this is a good reminder for us to be long in our prayers. When we ask something of the Lord and we pray earnestly and we truly believe that it is His will for our lives, may we be patient continue to pray, continue to wait upon Him. We do not know when He will answer those. But God does continue to fulfill His promises. Not only does He continue to fulfill His promises, He also preserves His people. We see this in this middle section. This is seen in the passing out of the family inheritance. And unlike today's practice where um, someone dies and then the inheritance is divvied out, uh, usually via the will, in the times we're speaking here with Abraham, this was done prior to death. And there's some wisdom to that, right? You want to make sure the right children get the right things. And so one of your last acts, if, if the Lord granted the ability to do so, was to divide things up in the way you wanted it so you knew everybody had what you expected them to have. And if you've ever experienced this at, at the loss of a parent or a grandparent, or you've ever watched a television show that deals, deals with this, so much chaos and conflict and discord can come at this moment, at the dividing up of the assets, if you will. My, my father's a land surveyor, and, and he would tell me, Aaron, I, I really don't like it when um, there's not clearly defined um, who gets what, particularly land, uh, because that gets very hairy and things start to get divided and squared off, and it, it, it can get ugly, um, if you will. And you can see here, and just reading the text, can't you see the potential for that? Because Abraham's a little heavy-handed on one son over all of the rest of them. To the one son, you get 99.98%. To the other seven, you get 0.02. And in his, his view, that's fair. And in the Lord's view, it was fair. So let's talk about that, why that was the case. Now, before I do that, I guess I should say first, there is a level of love Abraham has for all of his children. And, and, and we see that because he does give them all gifts. We know that Abraham loved Ishmael. Um, he lamented over the fact he had to send him away in an earlier chapter. We see here giving the gifts to the sons of Keturah before they are sent away. 
even though they were not the same level of child as, as in Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and then Abraham and Keturah had these sons. So they weren't, um, according to, to the law, they weren't owed anything. But yet Abraham richly blesses them. And we don't know the particulars of the gift, um, but it was good. It was a good gift. And so, again, let's go back to what each of these gifts were. It's easy to talk about because to Isaac, he gives everything. Isaac, my son, my heir, the, the son of me and of Sarah, you receive it all. The totality of the wealth and the possessions. And we, we knew this was coming if you paid attention. Um, when the servant is talking to Laban in Genesis twenty four thirty six, he says, Isaac has been given the whole of the wealth of Abraham. And this was probably preemptive when the servant said that, unless the timeline again is a little off and Abraham's already died at this point, And we can't speak that definitively, so we don't know. But Isaac was to be the heir. But we cannot miss the fact that Isaac became the great benefactor not only of wealth, but also spiritually. As we will learn in, in the coming chapters of Isaac, Isaac knew the Lord. Isaac trusted in Yahweh, just like Abraham trusted in Yahweh. It wasn't just an inheritance of, of resources, but also it was an inheritance of faith. And oh, what a greater possession that was. And I want us to ask ourselves this morning, what did Isaac do to deserve this? What did he do to deserve such a gift from his father and from God? And the answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. In this, I believe we find one of the major points of our passage. By grace, God granted Abraham and Sarah their son Isaac, who was the only son born to them. This son, we are told, would be the child in which the promises would be fulfilled, that God's will would go forth. And now, in his age of maturity, we see him blessed beyond measure. Isn't that how salvation works today? We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. We are recipients of it because of the grace of God and His mercy and His alone. And I think it's so important that we see this here as we transition from one patriarch to another. God chose Abraham and God chose Isaac. And in both, His plan continued forth. And it's by His mercy and by His grace that He chooses any of us today. And when He does, we can ask, why, O oh God? And the answer is, because I am God. But Abraham doesn't leave out his other sons. Like I said, it's 99.98 to Isaac, and then 0.02 to Ishmael and the other six. And then here, again, just a practical note, because I, I, I have to work this out in my head. I'm inclined to think Abraham gave the 0.02 to the other children first. Because if he gave everything to Isaac and then went and took back from his son the .02 to then give to the other sons, that would be a little odd. So I'm inclined to think that Abraham said, okay, here's my little gifts for y'all, and then Isaac, you get everything else. But that's kind of pragmatic, and, and it, it doesn't really affect things that much. But this list, who would have been blessed, was Ishmael, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. They got gifts. We don't know what the gifts were. 
but we do know it was generous for Abraham to do so. You know, and, and again, I, I think that there's a spiritual application here that, that really applies to our own lives and our own time. This, to me, really models well that God has a love for all of mankind, a, a general love for all people. While He certainly shows His love in excess and in abundance to the elect, He does not neglect to water the garden of the reprobate. In fact, many times they flourish and prosper, humanly speaking, despite their lack of trust in God. This is known as common grace. God places His truth upon every human heart and gives us a natural world that clearly points to its Creator. This is so um, no man would be without excuse. And we know this because I guarantee every child of Abraham would have heard of Yahweh. Even these sons born to concubines, they would have heard of the God that loved their father and the God that their father worshipped. He would have been proclaimed in the house. And so they had every opportunity to trust in Yahweh, to rest in Yahweh, to know Yahweh. And as we heard earlier with the, the Midianites, as we come back around, Jethro will proclaim and profess the Lord is God. But this general gifting, this, this general to all of the sons, really speaks to that, that the Lord does bless all of us. He gives us a hospitable world. He gives us the ability to use our brains, our gifts, our talents. He does give us the opportunity to grow and flourish, humanly speaking. But specifically, the greatest gift we can receive is faith in Jesus Christ. And so I, I see the, the gifting of the sons as that comparison, the general and the specific. And I believe Abraham understood this. I believe he understood it well because he repeats something here he's done before. Remember back with Ishmael when Isaac is born I mean, we're told clearly Isaac is the son through which the promises will go forth. Ishmael gets cast off. And that wasn't an unloving thing. That was to protect the child of promise. In the exact same way here, the, the sons of Keturah are sent off. They're sent away to protect, to, to isolate, to give an incubation space for Isaac, to keep him from disagreement with his siblings, to keep him from fighting and quarreling over who deserved more portion, uh, to, to really give them all space to grow. God in his wisdom knew what he was doing. And Isaac would take this opportunity and grow as a man of God and he would raise his family in the ways of the Lord. And we'll see that in Jacob and Esau. But as we see in this second point, we now turn to the final. We, we see how the Lord provides contentment and peace, not just in life, but in death, for those who trust in Him by faith. We see this in the final verses given to us about Abraham. We're told that he lives to be 175 years of age. That's a long lifespan, even in this time. As, as, as humanly speaking, the, the days of their life is getting shorter and shorter. This also tells us that he sojourned in Canaan for 100 years. It's a long time to wander in the wilderness. But our passage tells us that the state of his death, was he frazzled? Was he uh, um, worried? Did he, um, was he uncertain? No, none of these things. What is it said of him in death? Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. Through the Lord's blessing, he died at a good old age. We're told that it was full of years. 
I think one commentator said it best when he remarks this. It's one thing to live a long life. It is another thing to live a long life that is happy. This obituary notice about Abraham draws attention to the fact he not only died in an elderly age, but in a frame of mind filled with inner shalom and satisfaction. That is the thrust of the phrase, full of days. I was speaking to, a, to another friend recently who was commenting on the death of his mother. She suffered from dementia and forgot almost everything and everyone at the end. But by the mercy of God, this friend said she did not forget the Lord. Her favorite psalm was Psalm 139, and the son said, I would read it to her nearly every day that final year. And she would listen to his quoting of this beautiful passage of Scripture, and upon the conclusion, she would say, Now that's good news, isn't it? He told me she was ready to go home, and when she died, though they were sad at her passing, they celebrated the fact that she held dear to her Savior and loved him unto the very end. And what a blessing it is to know that her final thoughts would have been her first thoughts as she was in the presence of her Savior. What a blessing to say upon someone that they lived full of days and they were content and at peace. If it be God's will, may that be the case for each and every one of us. But while we cannot determine the days or the length of our days, we can determine the quality of them. We can make sure that it is said of us that we are content and at peace if we but trust in the same Savior. If we rest in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, we too can be like Abraham. Abraham looked forward to being in the presence of Yahweh. He trusted in Him by faith. And though Abraham did not know specifically that Christ would be the fulfillment of that, the true promised Son, the true son of the descendants of Abraham. He longed for the one to come that would fulfill it. And you know what's beautiful for me here in this passage? I, I love this, and, and may we not skip over it. Abraham, or Isaac and Ishmael joined together at the burial of their father. You, you've got the son that was cast off, and you've got the son that was drawn close, united in this act of burial. And in fact, this will become a legacy for the people, the children of Abraham. You're going to see this again. Sons coming back together for, for the sake of their father and of their ancestors. What a beautiful picture. Y'all know, and, and at those times of death and loss, there can be strife and angst and worry and division. But here we see unity. We see peace. And so not only was Abraham granted peace, but his children were granted peace. That is only through God. That only comes from the Lord. And we shouldn't be worried. We might be tempted to go, oh no, Ishmael's coming in to creep on, uh, on Isaac for the inheritance. The text settles that. No, no, let's be clear. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac. Isaac was the chosen son. Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. God's presence was with him. God would continue to work in the lives of his people the relationship that Abraham had with the Lord would continue through Isaac and through his descendants and go all the way to us today. And I don't know if I'll ever tire saying this, but may we not forget any time we come to a passage about Abraham, God's promise was that he would bring a particular people unto himself. Here we are. Here we are, still fulfilling the promise that was made. 
And so as we come to the close of the life of Abraham, may we remember the Lord. Though not perfect, Abraham is called a righteous man and a man of faith. This was due to the Lord's blessing and pursuit of him. The Lord walked with Abraham into his final days. Oh, would it be our desire that we would trust in the Lord all the days of our lives. Would we recognize that we can have contentment and peace in this life if we but trust in Him and place our hope in Him for all things? No matter what circumstances we face, we can count on the Lord. And by His grace, when He calls us home in death, or if Christ is returned before then, we can be confident He loves us and will provide for us exactly what we need. And let us praise Him in life and in death until he comes to call us home. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are good. You are good to us. You give us well beyond that which we deserve. You give us your son. You give us forgiveness. You give us hope. You give us your word. You give us your church. You give us your people. You give us the opportunity to fellowship together, to worship together, to live and struggle together. And, O Father, through that, may we find peace and contentment. May we trust in you as a promise-keeping God. May we look for your people, your particular people. May we seek to draw the lost unto you, knowing that it is not our works but yours. May we trust in you all the days of our lives. I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.